Soki here with John Heyman, as always, on Friday, September 30th, uh, recording another episode to talk about John's Inside Baseball column. And the headline is his award picks. And it's gotten to a point where I don't want to say it's no fun to argue the awards, but nobody is ever going to win. Nobody's ever right. Nobody's ever wrong. And nobody's ever happy. So when you are filling out your awards, John, is it does it still feel the same? Does, is it still um, <laughs> as fun to to go through this, or is it the fact that everyone's always wrong that it takes some of that out of it? No, I, I still enjoy uh, going through the process and uh, filling out the ballot, making my picks in all the categories, and you know I uh, understand uh, that uh, fans and uh, other writers are uh, very interested and excited about the whole thing, and and some are pretty sure of themselves, so I'm, I brace for some criticism and. Uh, it happens every year, and, uh, you know, I just have to not worry about it too much. I understand there will always be that camp that says that uh, for MVP, the impact on the race counts, and there will be that camp that says MVP just means best player. And I, I understand. If somebody thinks it means best player, I'm okay with that, even though I happen to think it has to do with the pennant race as well. Yeah, and I disagree with you on your MVP pick. I would pick Mike Trout, but if anybody tells me that Mookie Betts is the MVP, it's, yeah, I, I get it. I understand it. Um, it's not like we're talking Mike Trout versus, you know, a, a guy like uh, Elvis Andrus who's put together a really nice year for Texas, but he's not an MVP even though Texas is the best team. I mean, Mookie Betts has been outstanding, and you can talk about, you know, where he doesn't deserve it, where Trout doesn't deserve it, and, it goes to okay this stat does matter for this well no now it doesn't matter and so it's for me it's like I'm almost afraid to say who I who I think deserves it just because well I'm you're people people are going to get killed and nobody's happy either way so <laughs> well, you're I'm, okay uh, with me uh, Mike Trout as an MVP is an excellent choice I see nothing wrong with it I do think he was the best player this year I do believe uh, generally in the war numbers the one I used uh, he has an award of uh, 0.7 higher uh, than Betts. Uh, Betts was the only one close to him, though. If, if there was nobody uh, in that category uh, and nobody close to uh, Trout on the war, I, I would have gone with, with Trout, although I, I do prefer to have the MVP be from a pennant winner. I don't exclude uh, guys on also-ran teams, non-contending teams. I don't eliminate them. I don't think it's a requirement. It all depends on how you interpret what most valuable means. To me, it is a factor whether you've helped your team uh, win the pennant. It's all about who wins. And I, I think that generally the players agree with me. The Players' Choice uh, nominees just came out, and they were uh, Altuve, uh, Betts, and Ortiz as the top three players. So that, those were my one, three, and four choices, I believe. I think I had Altuve fourth, but mm -hmm. um, I think those are all good choices, and I think the players even put a, a bigger uh, value on actually winning and impacting the, the pennant race. Um, so you can have any uh, say that it's all about stats and who's the best and who has the best war. I'm okay with that, uh, but uh, I know that there are people who are pretty strident in their belief that it is really only about the stats and who is the absolute best player and has nothing to do with the pennant race. You talked to Josh Donaldson earlier this year, and he said that he thinks that winning matters and should matter. Why do you think the players think that? And do you think that most players, I mean, obviously, if Trout's not in the top three, obviously winning makes a difference to them. 
why do you think that is and how much weight should that carry in other people's opinions when you see that here's what the players think? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're all about winning. That's what they uh, believe is the most important thing, and that's who they believe had the special season. Um, you know, maybe if they went to four, they would have included Trout or five. Uh, maybe they would have included him. Um, he certainly has had a great season. As I said, if he's the MVP, if he wins it, and he may win it, um, I'm fine with that. But uh, I do think the players that are on the field, and they all – have in mind that uh, winning is really what it's all about, and uh, that is the end game. Um, you know, I get uh, uh, comments from people tweeting me and saying, well, of course the players don't analyze the stats, they don't know any better, they're just players kind of denigrating the players. I don't think that's fair at all. I think the players certainly are paying attention. They're right in the middle of things. They do know what's going on. They just put a big premium on winning the games and playing games that matter and doing well in games that matter and impacting the season. If you're going to write a story of this season, you would write about the Boston Red Sox and the other winning teams. Uh, you know, Mike Trout would not be the lead of the story of the season, uh, whereas Mookie Betts may be. Now, that being said, I did have Trout ahead of Ortiz, who had a fabulous season for a winning team the same team as Betts and I did have Ed of Altuve whose team has contended and Donaldson whose team uh, has contended the whole way and may get in so um, you know I, I just think uh, that the stats do matter the winning does matter it's all part of a stew you put it all together and it's uh, everybody's subjective opinion but uh, to me most valuable has a clear meaning and it's had that meaning since the beginning, where it's not just about the stats, but certainly the guys who are analyzing the stats all day long and uh, uh, doing that for a living, they're going to put an even greater emphasis on the numbers. Adrian Beltre is an interesting case. He's number five on your list for American League MVPs, and you say that it might be a bit of a surprise. He's a case where he is, can you call him the best player on his own team? Um yeah, you can make that argument. There's probably arguments for a couple others. Um, but it's that stuff that's un that you can't quantify, the, the leadership aspect. And I know that as we get into more numbers and stats that people kind of laugh that stuff off. But the, the leader on a team like Adrian Beltre and how his players, uh, his teammates adore playing with him and how highly they speak of him, it looks like from your ranking that you include that in your argument or in your case when building it and I certainly agree with that I think that goes to manager of the year as well where you look at a guy like Dusty Baker that um, people that analyze managers and the moves they make and don't make they're not big Dusty fans but the way that he's managed the players that stuff you can't quantify in numbers I think that it should play a role does that mean that I think Adrian Beltre should be number one no but I think that stuff like that you there's no number for it and it's still really important yeah adrian beltrade's had a great year he's got 30 plus home runs uh, he's got the rbis he's one of the best defensive third basemen uh you know when you mention the best defensive third baseman now you generally talk about machado and arenado and sometimes we forget uh beltrade but uh, he's had quite a career he's been an incredible defender throughout i do think that uh, he is such a leader and so important to that team and uh i do think that that is a factor in it but he did have a very good season Statistically, I just haven't heard his name as much as I might think that he should be heard. 
Uh, and I, that's why I said it was a surprise. Certainly with the manager getting the guys motivated and ready to play, that's a, an, an enormous factor. In fact, that is the main factor in terms of being a manager. But as a player, I think it can be thrown into that stew, and people can consider if a guy's a leader, if he's helping the clubhouse, if he's uh, you know a guy who's causing trouble and is a pain in the you-know-what and is causing his team to finish last or potentially by misbehaving, you know, that's mentioned, that would be considered as well. But uh, Beltre, great leader. He's also having a very good year offensively and defensively. Let's not forget that. As a voter, are you, do you, do you like it that the awards, whether it be the Cy Young Award, which we'll get to shortly, the MVP, that these are open to interpretation, that they don't tell you, okay, winning does matter, win, winning doesn't matter. Uh, pitcher wins matter, pitching wins don't matter. It can be a closer, it can't be a closer. Do you like that that's open for anybody to interpret? I, I think it's th- fine. I, I don't have any problem with that. There certainly is a precedent, long history of the votes. I think we've voted in the past, and people may criticize those votes, but I think it's clear that uh, relievers are considered Nine relievers have won the award, so they're not disqualified. That being the case, I will consider them, although I would much prefer to uh, have a starting pitcher win. Uh, certainly somebody throwing 200 innings versus 70 innings generally is going to be much more valuable than a guy you know, throwing in the, out of the bullpen. But uh, on rare cases, I will consider relievers as I have done this year. So, um, you know, I think it's fine that it's open to interpretation. I think... Uh, makes for good arguments it's another argument to have is uh, what does most valuable really mean what does uh, uh what does it mean to be the uh, Cy Young winner to the relievers uh count that adds to the uh, debates and there are plenty of them so i think it's all good for baseball baseball's certainly done the best in terms of the awards people really care about all these awards uh, some of the other leagues not so much i guess the nba uh, mvp people care a little bit about that nfl mvp not that much, but <laughs> baseball, people care a lot about Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, uh, and all the other awards. For starting pitching, um, in your in your ballots or your story here, we have Britain at 8 as a closer for the American League, and then Scherzer comes in at 10 in the National League. What does the starting pitcher have to do? I don't think that there's anybody, um, especially with Kershaw being shortened by two months, I don't think there's anybody in any kind of conversation like that, but what does it take for a pitcher to, to get into that MVP territory for you? Well, you've got to have really a, an incredible season. And, uh, you know, I thought there were enough good hitters that uh, the pitchers didn't finish that high up on the MVP palette. I'd much rather have a position player win. Obviously, we've had uh, pitchers win MVP even recently. Uh, guys have won. Uh, if they have just an all-time great season and they really carry their team, um, I don't believe that just because someone's only pitching or playing one out of every five days, that doesn't make them valuable. On that day, they are by far the most valuable. So, uh, And certainly a, a good starting pitcher who's been healthy and uh, uh, played the whole year and started 35 games, he's going to face more batters than the batters will have faced pitchers by a little bit anyway. So... Um, I do think that a uh, pitcher can be most valuable. Because they have their own award, I would prefer not to uh, have them first or second or that high up. But uh, in some cases, I will include them. I had that 10th spot in the National League this year, and uh, I want to include one of the pitchers. They've had such good years between Lester and Scherzer 
and uh, Hendricks, all of them have been very valuable to their teams and I think deserving of, of something. And uh, I wanted to give a nod to uh, one of the pitchers at least. Chris Bryant was your National League MVP. I don't think that there's any argument there. The rest, Corey Seager, two, Daniel Murphy, three, Rizzo, four, Cespedes, five. I think that that's fine. I don't know that there's too much argument that can be made there. Uh, your least valuable player, Jason Hayward, I don't think that there could be an argument made there either. Um, so let's go to the AL Cy Young, another one that's getting um, a little tiresome to debate because no one's ever happy. You have Zach Britton. Um, I, I've seen the arguments. I hear the arguments that, okay, if he comes in and faces the seven, eight, nine hitter, how is that more than facing a lineup three times through um, the innings thing that you brought up? But in a case like this, I don't want to say that it's by default because Britain has had a historically good year. But if there's a year where a closer is going to win it, it's when the closer is having a historic year and a starting pitcher hasn't or hasn't had a outstanding year and that's kind of what it looks like to me this year yeah it all came together this year i really would love to avoid uh, relievers winning uh, the cy young award but when you have a guy having an historic season like zach Britton, where he's been perfect and given up four earned runs the entire season and then you have a group of starting pitchers and uh, i certainly included uh four of them uh on the ballot uh having very good years, maybe even excellent years, but not not obvious Cy Young years. Now, obviously, Verlander, Sale, Kluber, uh, all the guys, they, Porcello, all the guys they included are having excellent years. And if somebody picks them and doesn't want to pick Britain because he's only thrown around 70 innings, I, I understand that. If you have three times the number of innings, there certainly is a major value to that. Um, but I think if you look at the high leverage situations, and uh, win probability and all that, I think Britain comes out looking pretty good. And having that guy who's a lockdown for nearly 50 games at this point uh, is a major psychological advantage for the team. You blow games at the end, uh, you're going to be in trouble. And uh, Baltimore looks like they're probably going to squeak in, and I think he's been a major factor in that. I I was very reluctant uh, to really consider him for that top spot, and I didn't do it all through August, but... It just kept going in September, and he just stayed perfect. And uh, to me, he is the guy. Now, obviously, we have a few days left. And relievers really have no margin for error. You know, if he if he blows a couple saves at the end, uh, you know, that could change the equation. And uh, someone or myself would have to look at it again. But uh, as of today, to me, uh, he's been so historically good uh, that I wanted to recognize that. And I really had a hard time differentiating between Porcello and Verlander and, uh, sale and, and the others, they're all about the same. And I, and I do think Miller, I'd like, wanted to include him. So I give him a tie for fifth. I think he's been dy- absolutely dynamic. Uh, I mean, he's not even a closer, but he's willing to do anything that Cleveland wants. So I don't know if that should be held against him, but, uh, he's been uh, amazingly good. Of course, he's at a, maybe a blip or two, unlike Britain, who's had that perfect season. Yeah, I think Andrew Miller is tied for fifth with Chris Sale on your ballot here. And that's, when I first saw it, I was like, really? And then I started to think about it. And that goes back to um, the value aspect of having that guy that you can put in the tightest moments of, of every game, um, essentially, and where he d- needs more credit for that. And obviously he's taken – um, taking the role and saying, if you need me in the sixth, great. If it's the seventh, ninth, whatever. Um, 
but in terms of value and how good he's been, um, you're you're right that I think that he certainly can be in an argument. Although I don't know that many people will even think to think about him because he's not a closer. But back to the Britain thing, and with a couple of games left, generally speaking, like when Miguel Cabrera won the triple crown and, and won the MVP, whether it was because he won the triple crown or whatever. Even talking about Michael Fulmer this year, if he wins the ERA title, then he can win Rookie of the Year or if he qualifies, whatever. If it comes down to one or two innings, hits, home runs, I don't really like that affecting it. So, for example, if if Cabrera doesn't have two extra RBIs, then, okay, he's not going to be the MVP that year. I don't like that. But when you're talking about closers, does your vote change if, Britain isn't perfect in save opportunities and blows a save here down the stretch, especially when these games mean so much. Yeah, I I, I don't I think one blown save would probably be okay for me. I mean, like I said, no very little margin for error for uh, these closers. But I I do think even with one blown save, he's had an historically great season as a closer. You look at win probability added and the other factors that go in and. All they've, he's done for that team, uh, you know, I just think that uh, he's the Cy Young uh, winner. Um, yeah, and I don't think one at one extra RBI or one extra home run or no, I don't think that's it. I, to me, you know, I know that a lot of people didn't think Miguel Cabrera should win the MVP that year, but the thing with Miguel Cabrera was that he gave up his position that year. He, he gave up uh, first base uh, to go play third base, and I know some people ridicule him as not a great third baseman, but, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. And they allowed them to sign Prince Fielder and gave him another 30 home runs. So, you know, I, I factored that in as well. Uh, you know, everybody looks at different things, but uh, I, I don't think the Triple Crown is automatically the MVP. But I think between uh, giving up his position, then going out on the field and being an incredible dynamic hitter, one of the greatest hitters we've ever seen. I thought he was the MVP that year. I basically, to this point, have agreed with the voters on everything. I had Trout as the MVP of the year that he won. I had him second all the other years. Uh, this year I have him second. We'll see. I think Trout may win this year, though. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But um, you get to be the point of uh, criticism when all this happens, so I hope you enjoy your spot there. Um, <laughs> the NL Cy Young, we have Scherzer. Number one, Lester two, Hendricks three. That goes back to the innings thing. And it, and when people put it in perspective of Scherzer basically has three more starts and he's doing this stuff over Hendricks, I kind of start to, to lean towards Max Scherzer. Yeah, that was the hardest one for me. Um, Hendricks could easily be the Cy Young winner. So could Lester. Um, Lester's been fantastic, particularly uh, in the last uh, couple months. Uh, unbelievable. Happened to be at the game. Uh, with the Mets, where I think he gave up about eight runs in an in inning, that doesn't really affect me. But it was very odd to see that. Uh, I think all three have been uh, superb. All three could equally win. I looked at that forever. It seemed like um, I eventually leaned toward Scherzer. Uh, he did lead in WAR. He did lead in WHIP. Uh, had the huge strikeout total. Had the twenty strikeout game, uh, which you and I looked at together. Um, uh, you know, not that that had anything to do with it, but I, you know, I, I just felt that in the end, uh, without Strasburg being there, he was the clear ace from the beginning of the year. Um, he didn't have Arietta with him on the staff. Chicago had a, a staff with really three aces. Uh, he's basically the ace, although Roark was better than anyone would have thought. And, and 
he still is better than everybody seems to think. But uh, to me, that uh, Scherzer is the man in Washington and didn't have the little advantage of having Arrieta with him. And, uh, you know, I basically looked at it as one against three in a way and uh, ultimately just barely picked Scherzer with Lester and Hendricks, but it could have been any of that order. A couple of ideas have been thrown out on how to honor Jose Fernandez and whether it's naming an award after him. Some people brought up the idea of voting for him for the Cy Young this year because, A, he had an argument, um, and, B, as a honor because it was pretty clear that he was going to win multiple Cy Youngs in his career. So do you think anything like that will happen, that he'll get first-place votes, um, should get first-place votes, any kind of honor there? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that he'll get any first-place votes. If somebody does want to give him a first-place vote, I'm really not opposed to it. I, I think Jose Fernandez was uh, just a great young man. It's the saddest thing I can remember in baseball, uh, covering in 30 years. Uh, just a terrific guy, wonderful in the clubhouse, vibrant, and obviously a great talent who would have won uh, multiple Cy Youngs. Um, he's not going to win the Cy Young. There might be uh, one or two or three people who may honor him uh, with a first-place vote. Um, but I, 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 even that I'm not so sure of because uh, people take their voting very, very, very seriously and look at every last stat. Now, you look at his numbers, you look at their number, numbers, they're really not that that far apart. I mean, he's been spectacular also, but we, we all look at stats so much now that you can differentiate uh, a little bit, uh, and uh, I, I still voted for whoever I was going to vote for, and, and that was it. So I, I think most voters will do that, and uh, he will get some support, more likely with a fourth vote or a fifth-place vote. Uh, we'll see. If somebody gives a first-place vote, I'm, I'm really not opposed. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but uh, uh, I, I didn't happen to do that. The... American League Rookie of the Year is another one that's uh, debatable. NL Rookie of the Year is not. That's all Corey Seager. Fulmer Sanchez, what ultimately for you put Sanchez over the top? Yeah, I thought Sanchez was historic in how good he was, even if it was only a couple months. Um, Fulmer is really good, and he may win the ERA title. And, of course, like you, one or two points, which one or the other isn't going to sway me. So whether he wins or not, is it necessarily going to sway me? I, I think he was excellent. I think most people will vote for him. I think he's probably going to win. I looked at it as, um, I mean, who's really a spectacular uh, rookie? Uh, I, I know it's not supposed to be on who you'd want on your team in the next several years going forward, but I think I'm looking at Sanchez as a potential great player here. So, uh, And I know that McCovey won in 59 with, uh, with fewer home runs and uh, – and still did it uh, in a you know a similar circumstance, similar number of at bats. Um, so there is precedent for it. Uh, Fulmer does get uh, definitely consideration for being there almost the entire year and for having an excellent, excellent season. But uh, to me, Sanchez was a spectacular one, and I, I gave him a the nod. That was a tough one as well for me. But I, I do think. Just based on the buzz out there, what I hear that Fulmer probably will win it, and I have absolutely no problem with that. A couple of the other awards here, obviously we said Seager is your NL AL Manager of the Year, Terry Francona, NL Manager of the Year, Joe Madden, 
AL Executive of the Year, John Daniels, and NL Executive of the Year would be Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer with the Cubs. And because the next time that we record, the playoffs are going to have already started, we'll go over kind of some predictions there. But first, I want to talk about Theo and the Cubs front office because they just all today, the uh, Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod agreed to five-year extensions officially. Um, obviously, Theo Epstein the other day getting his five-year extension. Um, how, I guess, unique is it that you have guys like Jed Hoyer who could get a president job? You have Jason McLeod who can get a GM job. That they're going to stick together for this for five more years. And how much is that? How much do those extensions actually mean when it comes to? McLeod and Hoyer taking other jobs potentially. Yeah, I mean, I, they could take other jobs. I think I, obviously they're all very close friends, and uh, I think if uh, Jed Hoyer or Jason McLeod gets and wants another job, uh, they probably let them go. Uh, whether they do or not, I'm not so sure that they will. I mean, Hoyer is the GM, uh, so I'm not so sure that he would go. Uh, my understanding is through back channels, Minnesota looked at Hoyer. Uh, found out he wasn't going to go. Uh, they did interview McLeod, uh, who I thought would have been a very good choice. Uh, didn't hire him, as it turned out. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I think it's unusual that uh, these guys are together, going to stick together. Uh, not unprecedented. Uh, they had Levine in Texas. has had opportunities, and he hasn't necessarily been anxious to leave there, even though John Daniels is the GM. Um, in this case, uh, you know, I think it's uh, they've been a great team. They work well together. Uh, it's a very exciting time in Chicago. I, I don't blame anyone for not wanting to leave that situation. They may break a, uh, a unbelievably historic uh, streak in sports. They have won the World Series. Everybody knows since 1908. So I, I certainly understand them wanting to stick together. It doesn't mean they're going to be together forever. Um, so I think it was a good job by Tom Ricketts to lock them up for five years. I think McLeod already had two more coming, so technically he had three added, but they all get five years now, so they're all through 2021, so great day for the Cubs. And I think Tom Ricketts deserves a lot of credit for actually being an owner that realizes what he has and saying, okay, do your thing. Here are the resources to build exactly what you want in the front office. I can't imagine too many other teams spending the kind of money in the front office that the Cubs are. And so a credit to, to Tom Ricketts and, and their family for realizing that this is what they have to do to, to get to the level that, that they want. So Yeah, that was very smart of him. He went after Theo Epstein, who won uh, a couple World Series in Boston. Uh, was the perfect guy to go after a, a young guy you could build with who's already won two World Series for a team that hadn't won since 1908, as we said. Uh, he picked the right guy, went after him. Uh, paid him reasonably, got his executives to come with him, went from San Diego and Hoyer, and uh, really did a great job. I mean, not every team does that. A lot of teams are looking at the bottom line. I think that could be a mistake when it comes to uh, the guy running your baseball operations department for a year. I think they're years. I think a lot of them have been underpaid. I mean, I know they're not poor and they're getting along fine and they don't need our help, but uh, it's a very important job, uh, generally more important than the manager of the team is the guy uh, providing the players and uh, I don't think that's an area where you should skimp or uh, not try your hardest to get uh, the best person possible so Tom Ricketts I think did a great job in getting Theo Epstein 
Uh, his first contract, I believe, was for $19.5 million for the same. I think it was for five years also. So, uh, you know, and then he realized uh, he needed to give him quite a bump up, and I think Andrew Friedman gets that tip there for really changing the uh, landscape for the very top uh, executives. Yeah, the bottom line thing, I think that was something noted in Roy Thompson's piece on ESPN, taking a look into Theo and where it went wrong in Boston, where he felt the the business side and the baseball side were starting to, to clash a bit, and maybe that's where some of the bigger name moves went wrong in Boston, but seems to be everybody on the same page in Chicago, and I know that he said to you that he wouldn't want any other group to go in with, so with 104 wins or whatever it is, uh, they got some pretty good chances. So I think so. They're their favorite. They're clear favorite. Uh, we've been here before with them with a really excellent team, with a Dusty Baker team, with a Lupinella team. They didn't make it. Now it's Joe Madden's turn. Obviously, uh, they had a pretty good team last year. We're not the favorite probably, but very good. This year, they are the clear favorite. They have the best starting pitching. I believe the best defense. I think the best balanced lineup. Uh, they also don't have the injury problems that Washington's dealing with and that L.A. has dealt with. I think L.A.'s now... Uh, the biggest threat with uh, with uh, Kershaw and Hill uh, back and uh, reasonably healthy. Uh, they are the biggest threat, but the Cubs are the favorite to get to the World Series. I don't think there's any way around that. And if they don't make it, I, we'll be hearing a lot more Jinx talk and Billy Goat talk and all that stuff uh, in the middle of the month if they ha- somehow happen to be eliminated. And I, don't, I don't think it's uh, impossible because anything can happen when you come to October. All the teams that are in are good, and uh, certainly the Dodgers and the Nationals are good teams, but the Cubs are the favorite, and reasonably so. Looking at the National League wildcard, who will play Chicago in the NLDS, right now St. Louis is a game back of San Francisco, San Francisco a game back of the Mets. St. Louis plays Pittsburgh this weekend, San Francisco plays the Dodgers, the Mets play the Phillies. Do you see the Cardinals jumping in there, or is it going to be Mets-Giants to you? Well, I'm going to stick with the Giants. Uh, At the beginning of the year, the Giants were my pick. Uh, Toronto was my pick in the American League. Both teams have disappointed me a little bit. Uh, Both teams still uh, with a shot to get in, but not looking like uh, a real World Series contender at this point. The Giants, uh, obviously, in recent history, have been very, very clutch when it counts this year second half they have been abysmal really terrible even though they've scored as many runs as they've given up or even more they're uh, something like uh, 14 13 14 games under 500 really brutal in the second half so i wouldn't put it past st louis to jump ahead st louis has had an unusual season their defense has not been good they've hit a lot of home runs still have some good young pitchers uh they got a shot to uh, to knock off the giants but as i said giants were my pick originally i'm not jumping out now with three games to go and uh, them having that one game lead on St. Louis. The Mets will get in. They're playing Philly. Last game they played Philly. Uh, they won 17 to nothing. If they don't win, uh, this will be like, uh, was it 2007? What was the year that they blew? Uh, the seven game lead with 17 to go. Uh, you know, they can't possibly blow this. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but I don't see that. The American League, a little tighter. We've got Baltimore and Toronto are tied. Uh, Detroit a game and a half back. Seattle two games back. Detroit is at Atlanta, but the Braves are not the same Braves team that they were even in the first half of the year. Um, So I don't know that that's necessarily a cakewalk. Uh, Plus they have the the makeup game against the Indians. Detroit 
or Seattle, excuse me, is against Oakland. Toronto plays Boston. Baltimore plays New York. Is it going to be Baltimore-Toronto, or do you see Detroit or Seattle sneaking in? I wouldn't put it past them. Um, you know, like I said, Toronto was my pick at the beginning of the year. I'm not jumping off now. They've been pretty terrible for what I thought they would be this year. So the fact that they still have the lead and I picked them, I'd stick with them. I'm not ruling anything out now. Baltimore been good the last couple of days. I think they'll sneak in. Um, you know, I'm not ruling out Seattle, though. I think they've, they've got a shot. Same with Detroit. Um, going to be interesting. Seattle's got uh, favorable last weekend. They could do it. They've been hot and cold, but uh, wouldn't put it past them. But having been behind by a game or two with only three to play is a big deal. So i got to stick with uh, stick with my pick of Toronto and uh, Baltimore, which has played well the last few days uh, to make it. I read a story today on Toronto that the clubhouse, are they divided? Are they you know, feeling the, the heat and the pressure? doing stuff like putting up pictures of the media guys with an X over their face saying don't talk to them. I mean, have you heard of things like this happening before? I don't think that can be a good sign going into the last. No, that's not a good sign if that's true and uh, not good at all. They, they definitely have a lot of big personalities in that, on that team. Uh, John Gibbons does not have an easy job. I, he does seem to be the right guy for that job. We'll see uh, what happens to him depending on what happens here and certainly with a new regime, a relatively new regime that didn't hire him, you know, he's under the gun a bit. Um, not an easy job. Um, they, they got, like I said, big personalities, um, a lot of different cultures in there. Sometimes that's great. It's an extra plus. Uh, in this case, you got a lot of guys who are free agents. Uh, you know, a lot of guys thinking about their contract. Potentially, there is that potential when you're free agent. Uh, I think it's a tough year. I think they're talented. They've, they've underperformed, and I'd be worried about them uh, going very far. Uh, they may sneak in. They're still tied with Baltimore, but uh, they are fading. Things are not good there. I do believe that. A little bit of predictions here we'll end this with. Uh, Texas will play the AL wildcard winner. Is there an AL wildcard team that you think you would pick to beat Texas? No, probably not. Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't see. Uh, I don't see any of those wild card teams being Texas. But uh, look, Baltimore. Uh, Baldo's pitching better now. Uh, Gosman's been good. Uh, Bundy's been pretty good. Um, they obviously have that reliever that we love. They have a good lineup. Uh, I'd say give Baltimore a shot right now. Even though I picked Toronto, I'm not giving them much of a shot based on the way they've played lately to really win a, a playoff round. I'd be surprised if they went around. And then Boston and Cleveland, who do you think? Yeah, you know, Cleveland is in a tough spot. That's a rough one. I mean, they've got, uh, even if you assume that Kluber can make it back, and it's not a given at this point, uh, you've got uh, Santana and Carrasco out. Um, that's just a killer. I, I know that Paul Hoynes, the beat writer for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, terrific beat writer, terrific guy. Took a lot of heat for suggesting that they were doomed when uh, Carrasco uh, joined uh, Santana on the DL, and that was even before the Kluber situation. But the reality of it is they're in a tough spot. Uh, to be without these pitchers against that lineup, I'll be surprised. I will be very surprised if Boston does not win that first round. I'm very impressed by what Cleveland's done. I never thought that they were going to be the team in that division. I give them all the credit. I think that uh, they've done a nice job. Chris Annetti and um, 
and uh, Mike Chernoff deserve a bow. Uh, Napoli has been a great addition. Um, obviously, the drafting of Lindor was a terrific idea. Um, they have built a very nice rotation. They get all the credit, and Francona is a great manager. But uh, it would be a miracle. If he pulls this off, I mean, uh, he's already a legend in Boston. That would make him even more one. Yeah, I think if Cleveland was healthy and full strength, I know that I've said that I've liked them the last month or so. If they were healthy, full strength, I think I'd give them a, a pretty good chance to beat Boston. But without those key pieces, I, I don't see how they can do it. The National League, what we have set, Dodgers and Nationals. Nationals just the Ramos injury. Steven Strasburg's not coming back. Can they beat the Dodgers, or is this one? Yeah, I, I think they're in a tough spot with the injuries. Um, I, I, I'd give them a shot, though. They obviously have Scherzer. They have Roark, who's underrated. Uh, Geo, left-hander. Um, you know, I think left-handers give the, the – I think I know they give the Dodgers a fit. So, um, you know, they, they having that rotation is still not bad, even without Strasburg. Uh, obviously, Melanson, big plus in the bullpen. I think their bullpen overall is pretty good. Uh, Washington, uh, you know, they've got, got a lot of nagging injuries with Murphy and, and Trout, so we're not sure if they're going to be at full strength. Without their starting catcher, they have Lobaton filling in. For the most part, Severino may catch the Scherzer games, but uh, um, that's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, who would think that the, the Dodgers are the healthy team? This is the team that had the more injuries than anyone in the regular season in the National League, and now they look like the healthy team. Kershaw's come back. Even if he's not 100%, he's tough to beat. And you've got Hill, who's been one of the best pitchers in the league, went healthy this year. And uh, that lineup is very balanced and very good. Um, I, I, I think that they're a clear favorite to win that uh, series. And is there a NL wildcard team that can beat the Cubs? I think if, it's, if there is one, it's the Giants, if they have Cueto and Bumgarner, and if Jeff Samarja pitches well. I don't. Yeah, you'd think that, but why the Giants have disappointed me? I don't know if I'm taking it out on them because I'm so disappointed in them. I think they have been great in October. Obviously, they won when they were not the best team uh, three times. Uh, so I don't put anything past them with Bumgarner and, and Cueto, as you said. But uh, I'll be shocked if the Cubs don't get past that first round, no matter who they play. We will see. So real quick, are you team chaos when it comes to the wild card? Or are you wanting to see every tiebreaker that we can? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't need chaos in my life. I, I understand for people that like that sort of thing, uh, but I, I'm, I'm not advocating for it. But it would be interesting, I, I will say that. But when, when you're talking about somebody who needs to make travel plans, I'd prefer not, yes. All right, good, good entertainment, but I also want my teams at full strength when it comes to the, the other stuff. But that's part of the reward of winning your division, I guess. So we'll see where the right. teams stand. Which I think this is a good way to do it. I think they found a good way with the wild cards having a clear disadvantage, but still a chance. And I, th I think that's fair, and that's made the races more exciting. And uh, we still have uh, potential uh, wild card changes over the, last, over the weekend. So uh, I think it worked out pretty well. I think so, too. So we'll see where teams stand next week uh, when we talk next Friday. Thank you. All right, Tommy. Thanks a lot. See ya.